Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi, Grant. I'm very well indeed. The sun's shining in Sydney. Hey, obligatory weather statement. It's actually still... Obligatory weather update. And it's still shining down here in Melbourne for now. The rain is coming later. Uh, I was in your neck of the woods last week. Oh, I thought I felt a grave disturbance in the force. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was raining, so clearly. Yes, clearly. You didn't get the demo version this time. No, no. Anyway, that's enough of that, those shenanigans. Uh, Today, we're having a bit of a sustainability chat. We are... Talking to Jason Brown, who is the ANZ Managing Director of EPAC Flexibles, and we also have with us the Marketing and Communications Manager for Red Group, Rebecca Gleghorn. And I view today as a real opportunity to break down some misnomers about uh, particularly soft plastics and look at the whole notion of, of what they are and how and if you can recycle them and their place within the food and beverage industry. So welcome, Jason, and welcome, Rebecca. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having us. Jason, give us a bit of a quick overview about EPAC Flexibles and what you do, because before we worked together on a story uh, that's in our August issue, I was not really aware of of the work that you guys do or really... I mean, I understood flexible packaging, but not not totally. So talk us through EPAC and, and what you do. Well, I think we'll start on what is flexible packaging because I think you raise a good point. Often that's a confusing word for people, right? So if you think about a packet of chips, that, that soft plastic that you, you take your chips from, that is soft plastic. Um, your pouch that you might get your M&Ms from or your dried nuts from or something like that, that that's all comes to us in, in flexible packaging. What? Right. Is it like what wraps around, say, a chocolate bar or yeah, a muesli abso- bar? Are they absolutely. Soft that's soft that's a really good example as right. well. So I guess what okay. um, EPAC is, is a bit of a disruptor in that market. So I like to always use the analogy that we're like the Uber, what Uber was to the taxi industry. So we've come into the, to the industry, right, with uh, a whole lot of high-tech digital technology which sort of changes the way that um, entrepreneurs can access packaging. And that means that things like they can get their packaging really fast. Like traditionally you had to wait 12 weeks, 16 weeks, and you can get it from us in a few oh, weeks. Right. So it's really changed that. You can get like multiple SKUs. So instead of having one or two bar flavors that you can take to market, you can have 15, 20 without having massive plate costs that make it inhibitive. Uh, means that you can use variable oh. data, which is something that you couldn't do um, in the past. So. So what does that mean? What's variable data? That's things like um, putting personalised names on packages or having a serialised QR code so people can track and trace and authenticate your product. So it's a really different technology to what's been available in the past. And so in the past, like you were saying, it would take 12 weeks. So so what's the difference now? So if you go through this digital tech that that EPAC's using, how, how quick could a food company you know, bring a product in and say, I need wrappers or I need pouches or, you know, packaging for this product. Like, what's the difference? Like, how much quicker would it be? Okay, for us, it's um, 
for like a wrapper, like a muesli bar wrapper or a chip packet, it's uh, 10 working days. Uh, and in the case of uh, a pouch with a little zipper at the top and all that sort of thing, um, we're looking at 15 working days. So it, it's quite different than the, the previous experience. And it means that people can like align their digital marketing strategy with new packaging. They, they can time them together because it's not such a massive disconnect on time frame. Right. And then, and how does that work in terms of turn, like uh, how big does a run have to be? Like if a company, if a, let's say you're a startup and you've got a new product and, and it's really fresh to the market. And so you don't, you won't have like, you're not on the scale of a Nestle or uh, Cadbury's or Mondelez. How many do they have to print to? Yeah, it's a good question. So with pouches, I guess in the past, people would be asked to you know, maybe have ten to 20,000 pouches of each skew. For us, we can produce as little as 3,000 in total. So you could have five or six skews, a few hundred of each, and mix and match a bit. So it's it's, it's really different in that regard. Even if you look at like uh, the Musi Bar wrappers or the chip wrappers, they might be asked for uh, 100 kilos per SKU as a minimum, you know, whereas we can do runs of 50 kilos or less in total, mixed over multiple SKUs. So it's a, it's a really different experience for those startup companies. Okay. Um, Rebecca, coming to you and Red Cycle, I mean, Red Cycle's all about soft plastics, um, but talk to us about what it is, where did it come from and, and you know, what it means. Yeah, for sure. So um, just a quick explanation. Red Cycle is the post uh, the recovery initiative for post-consumer soft plastics. So people would have seen our bins in Coles and Woolworth stores around the country. And so we're presently in over 1,900 stores, locations around the country. We reach about 85% of the population and we're working on expanding the program to reach the other 15% of the nation that can't presently get to easily get to a Coles or Woolworths store. And what we do is take those soft plastics and pass them on to manufacturers who then are able to turn that material into new products. And I can talk a little bit about that later. But where it started, which is a really lovely story, which I like sharing with people, and the reason I like sharing it is because everybody seems to have this preconceived notion that Red Cycle is directly affiliated with Coles and Woolworths, so we're part of the conglomerate and and we're evil. <laughs> and, it's, and it's nice. Sharing. We're, just, <laughs> we're just we're just greenwashing. A lot of people have used yes, that term. They yes, think that, yep. you know, yep. we're just part of the greenwashing. And it's not the case at all. So Red Cycle was actually started by an incredible woman named Elizabeth Cassell. She was a mum and she was confused uh, a number of years ago about why she couldn't put out the soft plastics with her recycling in the curbside recycling for a council. So she looked in, started thinking about this. If I collected it, what am I going to do with it? So she thought ahead and found a company, Replus, who was able to take the material. So she knew that, well, if I collect it, I've got somewhere for it to go and it can be turned into something else. She then worked up a, pro, a pilot program with her son's school. So she was literally driving the ute around and collecting the material and taking it to Replus. And then she got some Sustainability Victoria funding and was able to expand that program to schools all across Victoria. But then the program became so 
popular with parents and other people in the community who wanted to be able to recycle their soft plastics as well. And that's where Coles came on board initially and we were able to get into Coles stores and then eventually um, Woolworths as well. So it's a really nice story about one woman's vision and how we've gone from this, you know, her driving the ute and picking up these materials to being able to People I tell you, I tell you, if you want something done, you give it to a mum. <laughs> yes. You give it to a mum. And not only will it get done, it will get done in one-tenth of the time it would take some <laughs> professional organisation or trained person to do. It will just, so it'll all just be it. done. Yeah, yeah. There was a problem, she found a solution, and uh, now that solution is recovering over 5 million pieces of soft plastic every single day. So that's 20,000. What? Yeah, that's 20,000 kilograms of soft plastic every single day we can recover. Because that was going to be my next question was how many people are actually doing this? How many people are actually taking their soft plastics to the supermarket? Yeah, so it's a difficult question to respond to in terms of the number of people involved in the program because there's no way to kind of, unless we had people monitoring each bin, but what we can say is that over, particularly over the COVID lockdowns of 2020, 2021, there was a 200% increase in the amount of material that we were recovering every single day. And that's gone up even from last year, we were 4 million pieces a day, now we're 5 million and that's, that's continuing to grow. So was that just because people were looking for an excuse to leave the house? <laughs> I think it was because more people were at home making their lunches at home. At and they were just going, "This is we can't just be throwing all this into the bin. Correct. And they were becoming more aware of what the solutions around them were. So, you know, to see that increase is a great indication that a lot of Australians are um, embracing the program. But by the same token, we haven't actively promoted Red Cycle you know, there's no paid advertising, what have you. And that's a very deliberate attempt to try to manage the in, the intake that we've, we're recovering versus the output because we certainly don't want to be an organisation who stockpiles any of the material we recover. So we've got to make sure that there's a market for the products and that there's somewhere for the material to go. That's really crucial in how the Liz set up the, the company and how it's managed today. Um, we don't want to overwhelm the system um, and end up, you know, in a situation where it's being stockpiled because that's not what we're about. And I think, and I'll, I'll put this to both of you, there, there seems to be a lot of tiredness in consumers at the moment or a bit of cynicism about sort of recycling and that and I think people see the stockpiling of, of things in in places and and are just sort of like well what's there's a real worry of of you know consumers going well what's the point look and we and we see that even with red cycle people go to supermarkets they may see some soft plastics going to landfill out the back and mistake them for red cycle plastics and so there's this real then people saying well you're not telling us the truth or you know and there's and there's so there's there is a lack of understanding as to what can happen with certain types of soft plastics we don't recover commercial commercially generated plastics for example we only take the post consumer stuff so when people see the piles of consumer uh, sorry commercial pl- soft plastics they they get a bit confused and a bit annoyed and think that we're not doing our job Mm. And Jason, I know that we've actually spoken about this before about the the sort of um, 
the notion of, of plastic sort of being almost I don't know the bad the bad boy or the, the 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 thing that is you know has to be obliterated or we have to remove it completely and and um how does a company like EPAC how do you respond to that like what are your what's what are what's EPAC doing to try and counter that what is essentially a miss understanding but how do you how do you respond to that well I, I think that the really big thing for me is to look at sustainability in a holistic way and this is where a lot of people get hung up on just the end of life story with things so let, let's if we start right back at the beginning and that's the life cycle and what that that um, packaging is doing so the first thing that packaging is doing is protecting product and it's extending the shelf life so a lot of the plastics that we use in the marketplace actually stop food from being damaged and spoiled and it stops food from um, never being consumed. We have a $7 billion problem in Australia with food going to waste that emits a huge amount of CO2. The only way we can address that is with things that extend shelf life and protect the product. And that's why packaging has a really important part to play. You know, people talk about trying to get rid of all packaging. You do that, you're going to blow out that $7 billion problem. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> now, plastics inherently, in particular flexible plastics, have a really good strength to weight ratio. So they're the powerhouse of that packaging market. They can carry a lot more product than other packaging means. If we compare it to glass, you need 50 times the amount of glass to carry the same amount that you can with a soft plastic weight for weight. So that means you need all oh, that right. additional raw material. You need to find an end-of-life solution for all that glass compared to one-fiftieth the amount that we need. Uh, with And also the yeah. space, the, so the storage space. So you need land and then to transport it in glass compared to in pouches, there must be, a, you know, that's another sustainability a angle. Huge surely. amount of uh, CO2 emissions from the transportation of food and beverage around the country. And flexible packaging has the number one lowest carbon footprint in its life cycle. So even before we get to end of life, we're talking about something that is inherently better for our CO2, which is a, you know obviously a huge thing at the moment with global warming. Um, you know, the digital uh, printing that we do, that do eliminates a lot of waste as well in the supply chains. So, you know, traditionally when you had to buy those huge amounts of materials from traditional printers, you ended up having a lot of inventory sitting there that would become redundant and you'd have to throw away so digital printing. Oh, of course. So you've just got other landfill yeah. just off packaging that labelling and that doesn't need to be used anymore as that dates gets outdated. Uh, yeah, hundred So this right. is this is why right. flexible packaging has a, a really good solution. Now, I guess we get to that end of life piece, and we see companies like Red Cycle starting to be able to take those soft plastics and recycle them. Here, we really believe in a circular economy. You know, if we we have a lot of plastic that we've created in the environment. It exists already. So what are we going to do with it? Are we going to just put it in one corner and never use it again? Or can we take this lightweight superhero of packaging and use it over and over again? We need to get away from virgin plastics. I think everyone accepts that. But the reality is we have a lot of plastic that we can use over and over again if we can create the right infrastructure to do that. So, you know, that's why I love uh, Red Cycle and what they're doing and we would hope that more and more people embrace that process. Yeah. So, Rebecca, what happens when 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 you the soft packaging comes to Red Cycle? What happens then? 
So it gets transported back to our plant back here in Melbourne, um, Australia, and we then uh, sort it. And so we try to eliminate as many contaminants as possible. Yeah. So that could be, and hopefully a lot of the elimination of contaminants happens at the store level. And we're talking the main contaminant for us at the bit site, at the bins, is people throwing in coffee mugs or drink bottles and what have you, which oh. then can leak. Oh, right. That's sort of what, right. Yeah, and then cause a mould issue um, because it wets all the other plastics and then that whole bag has to be um, thrown out to landfill. So so that's what some people actually see at the back of the supermarkets. They see those bags being thrown out. But so That That makes me so mad. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the main contamination issue that we have. So it's not so much the wrong plastics. I'll just touch on this quickly because – Red cyclers as a whole are very diligent because they've they've made a conscious choice to sort their soft plastics at home and take them to a Coles or a Woolworths. And so in doing so, they've been really careful about what they're taking. So, yeah, so when it comes back here, we try to get rid of any contaminants like that. And then it goes off to one of three, presently it's three manufacturing partners um, here in, in Victoria. And we're looking for more as we as the amount that we're recovering is increasing, we need more manufacturers. And then it gets turned into anything from wheel stops, so those little things in supermarkets that stop you, the cars hitting a curb or what have oh, you, okay, council yep. signage, um, bench seats, uh, uh, decking for, you know, homes or even um, commercial decking. Councils use them for decking down at, you know, beach sides and what have you, uh, posts for fencing, uh, garden edging, garden beds, there's a whole range of things. And the two most exciting developments in the reuse of this material is in a product called Tonaplas, which then gets mixed with recycled glass and toner from printers and is being used as, as an additive for asphalt for um, our roads. So instead of a, the mineral, traditional mineral aggregates, it's being, we're using this material in roads and it's being tested by the EPA in New South Wales. It was found to be um, just as robust. It's the same, just as, well, it's, it is more robust than traditional uh, right. uh, asphalt in terms of better um, response to weather changes. So there's not many, not as many potholes. It doesn't need as much uh, attention from the council. Um, and the, but in terms of a lot of people worry about microplastics, we get this term microplastics yep. all the time. Yep. People forget that traditional roads have petrochemicals and stuff. So when there's rain and stuff, yeah. it leaks into waterways. Yeah. So, you know, the mm. traditional roads aren't great for the environment mm. anyway. Anyway. So this, we're yeah. using this other material. And the other development has been in a, um, a, mater- a new product called Polyrock. So it's actually been used to help create concrete and it's a lighter alternative to concrete but it's just as durable. And so Coles have been taking up the flag on this one and using it in the pores for the new stores, in their car right. parks. Yep. Councils are using it for footpaths and what have you. Because concrete's a huge, like, yeah. CO2 emitter, isn't it? Like the I've heard that concrete's a, you know, a, yeah. So that's yeah. remarkable. So, and the amazing stuff about any of these products is if any of them break, even the concrete, 
Um, it can be returned to the people who manufactured it and then they can retrieve the soft plastic or turn it straight back into another product. And this is the touching on what Jason was just saying before, the importance of a circular economy. And I think it's not only, I think people need to really understand too that it's not only incumbent upon manufacturers or councils um, to be active participants in a circular economy. We all, as citizens, have to take an active role. Our role doesn't end by just putting our recyclables in the right yeah. bins. Yeah. We've actually got to start embracing the culture of purchasing products made from recycled materials because if we don't have the market for those products, there's nowhere for this material to go. And that's what recycling is. It isn't just about putting it in the right bin. And I think that's a really important message. Like Jason was saying, we really sell that message. All of our Facebook posts are about the different products that can be purchased because we need people to start making those purchases and councils and government and, and businesses to, to then have the pull through of the material. So when we're looking at calling on consumers to sort of be doing more and to be more conscious of this, what are, what's the overarching goal? Like is are there targets that have been set on a national scale or on a council by council level? What What's the, I mean, apart from wanting consumers to be doing the right thing and them to be feeling good about themselves doing the right thing, what's, what's pushing this? Yeah, that's a really uh, good question and I think it's a really important thing for people to understand that the federal government along with all the Australian state and territory governments were really um, empowered to do something about this and they, and they are they did do something about this. They got involved and they, um, as part of the National Waste Policy Action Plan, they sent set, sorry, the 2025 national packaging targets. And that means that by 2025, every brand within this country, all their packaging has to be either compostable, reusable or recyclable. So if they have to fit within those categories. So this is where companies like EPAC are working with their brands to be able to ensure that they're fitting within one of those categories. Wow. That's not that long. That's not that far away. That's only no. like... That's two and a two years and three months away. Yes, yeah, so there is a mad scramble with a lot of companies actually having to reassess that their packaging they've used for years, and then and then go through this process with APCO, which is the Australian Packaging Government, who are overseeing the implementation of this and are responsible for the introduction of the ARL or the Australian Recycling Label. So a lot of people will have seen the new symbols on packaging now that say things like store drop-off or return to store or recycle this bit or this bit needs to go in the bin and, and it's a far more detailed way for consumers to be able to understand their packaging and understand what they need to do as a consumer to recycle or dispose of that particular packaging. So, Jason, in, in light of those targets and, and the the push on companies as much as on consumers, what are you seeing with your customers in terms of their efforts around what their packaging is and and how they're going to work towards those targets? That's a, that's a really good question, Kim. So I think for EPAC, our focus is in offering recyclable structures so that they can meet that 2025 uh, end goal. So right. we, we do that already. There are some transitions coming up in that um, recyclability um, structures and we'll help our customers through that transition in 2024 and 2025. 
We also uh, are experimenting and playing with compostable structures and looking at what we can do in that in that regard as well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, our, our true focus as a business really is on a circular economy. I also wanted to touch on um, a really important point um, that Rebecca raised, but I just wanted to reinforce it because we reinforce it with our clients every day. Post-consumer recycled content in the packaging already, so packaging that already has recycling content in it, is one of the absolute keys for the circular economy to work. If we can create demand for that post-consumer recycled content in packaging through asking for it, it might have to be government mandate, I don't know, but that's going to drive a price for recyclable materials and that's going to make the whole thing work. So you're going to have infrastructure going because there's a price, there's money to be made by selling these PCR materials. So it is absolutely critical that you look at a recyclable structure as a customer and you also, if you can, get to a post-consumer recycled content in that packaging as well. That's the key. Wow. Uh, and also, oh yes. last, last thing. <laughs> go on. It is, it is essential that if you're going to do this right as a brand owner, that you become a member of Red Cycle and also the Australian Packaging Covenant. So you've got all the right certification. It's been tested. Ah, okay. Uh, and everyone uh, knows what to do. There is um, grants available for small and medium-sized businesses from the government to help them through that process. Ah, so, okay. So this isn't something you can just rock up to. Like you do actually, there is a process in terms of registering with Red Cycle or, you know, and actual processes you have to go through to um, be able to use the labelling. Is that right, Rebecca? Yeah. So nice segue there. Thanks for that. <laughs> no, it's... it's it's well, this is really important because I would just think if I had a product and I'd just go, yeah, of course I want in that packaging and, yeah, I want that label on it, it would not occur to me that, oh, I actually, you know, need to – well, that's probably me because I'm a little, you know, a little spontaneous. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, I interrupt. Go on, Rebecca. No, 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 all good. So, yeah, people need to become – so brands need to become members of APCO, the Australian Packaging Company. We'll keep saying that so people are aware of what it is. Yeah. And then that's – they're an industry body. So they're an industry like AIP and other um, industry bodies and where members pay fees to help reduce the impacts of waste. And then they have to join Red Cycle separately because – we're, we're a recovery system, so we're different. We're not an industry body. Yep. And what that then does is when people become a member of APCO and then they become a member of Red Cycle or a partner of Red Cycle, they're then given access to what's known as the prep tool, and perhaps Jason can talk a little bit more about that um, in a moment, that then allows them to determine whether the packaging that they are using is suitable for recycling. And once that they've been through that approval process through us, they're then able to use one of the ARL symbols that we I mentioned before, the Australian Recycling Label, that mentions um, whether the packaging is a store drop-off or return to store. They can put one of those symbols. They can also use our logo. They don't have to. But certainly to be able to use those two ARLs, they need to have been assessed through us. And that's why the membership or the partnership with us is so important. Mm. Mm. So, Jason, what's this prep tool? Yeah, okay. Um, before I touch on that, I, I think we need to understand the importance of having a proper certification body that looks at these things. We see a lot of what we call greenwashing in the market at the moment, which is people putting claims and statements out there that actually have no 
impact and don't help the situation at all. It's not. So we need someone to oversee this and make sure that what we're putting on there are correct statements and there really is infrastructure in Australia to recover this waste. And that's where, um, you know, organisations like Red Cycle and Abco play a big part. If, if they didn't actually look at the data and everyone was just putting the logo on, we'd just have a free-for-all of, of greenwashing. So um, the prep tool is an algorithm where you have to enter particular questions on the packaging. It's makeup, it's, it's thickness, uh, what kind of um, inks and things were used on that packaging. Uh, and then from that, the algorithm figures out what recycling, recycling logo goes on there and gives, gives you that PDF to attach to your artwork. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, a way of figuring out what is the recovery process for that material in Australia and New Zealand. Um, look, thank you, both of you. It's so, you have just really, it's been really enlightening. And uh, I think it's also been really, uh, it's really helped sort of paint the picture of just how many factors are at play in this and in us reaching those packaging targets and that all of us have a part to play from from company to government to council to the consumer. I think it's really, um, it's been really enlightening. So thank you both very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Kim. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Jason. Of course, thanks, Kim. And definitely thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes or in your favourite podcatcher as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Jason. Of course, thanks, Kim. And definitely thanks to our audience for joining us today. (laughs) Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes or in your favourite podcatcher as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email 
to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.